everyone and welcome to this week's episode of Recovery Talk. This week I'm going to talk about something that I am asked about quite a bit and that is why didn't my therapist tell me this? So to elaborate a little bit, very often I hear this from clients or I hear this from people on social media where you know I or someone else will share some information about eating disorders that is more tied into you know biology especially for instance around extreme hunger around you know weight gain metabolism etc etc a lot of these more biological aspects of recovery and people in recovery would say oh my god why didn't my therapist tell me that that would have helped me so much that would have made so much sense why didn't I know this sooner So very often the question is asked with a little bit of like annoyance, like, oh my God, why didn't I know this before? That would have saved me so much time, stress and anxiety. And sometimes there's also a little bit of annoyance of, you know, their therapist not having told them that earlier. And some people even wonder, like, are they withholding information from me? Are therapists incompetent? What is going on? Or people might even believe that... You know, people like, for instance, me in the field are have some kind of hidden agenda or have some kind of, you know, I don't know what to say, conspiracy against the healthcare system or something for talking about things uh, that they haven't necessarily heard in therapy. Like, is Amalia paid by the big food industry to encourage overconsumption? <laughs> what is going on? <laughs> Okay, people have not suggested that, uh, but people have become a little bit, you know, confused about, you know, when I talk about extreme hunger, like, are you trying to get everyone to just eat themselves to death, right? No, I'm trying the opposite. I'm trying to get people to eat themselves back to life. Okay, actually, when I say people, I mean like three people and diet culture. (laughs) Yeah, I, I actually get surprisingly little, you know, disagreement and controversy from people within the field of eating disorders about, you know, what I'm talking about. And what I also found is that when I work with other practitioners, because I do that very often with clients, they're actually very open-minded and interested and they really enjoy, you know, getting scientific papers or learning more, learning more about different things, about eating disorders. They're actually very, very open-minded to it. Uh, So I make it seem like it is some kind of, (laughs) some kind of battle. It's not. Uh, That would be very, very Don Quixote. It is not. But I'm actually going to answer this, you know, why is it that so many different people within the field of eating disorder have such different approaches, such different knowledge, such different lenses to view the topic of eating disorders? And how come things that I personally believe are completely essential to the understanding of eating disorders aren't, they aren't commonly understood by other practitioners? Are they less qualified? Are they ignorant? What is going on? Uh, Spoiler, they're neither of those things. So here is the thing with eating disorders. Right now, eating disorders are seen predominantly as a mental health condition. And yes, it is a mental health condition. But it is a mental health condition that is also very, very biological, especially compared to a lot of other mental illnesses. Of course, many mental illnesses also have a biological basis, but eating disorder is one of those that is very, what can I say, holistic, like it affects the whole body and many different systems in the body. I would argue that biological psychology is the most important lens to view eating disorders throughout. 
I know that is very controversial, but I'll say it. That is controversial. People are going to fight me for that. If I say that loud, people are going to fight me. But it's just it's just what I believe. You can agree with it. You can disagree with it. You can probably at least agree that it should have more <laughs> relevance than it has. Because the mainstream, uh, I would say, approach and agreement is to see eating disorders more through a, what can I say, psychotherapeutic lens. So is this completely use- useless? No, not at all. It's wonderful, but it neglects a very important part of eating disorders. So now some of you might be completely confused, like whoa, whoa, psycho what? Psychotherapeutic, what, what does that even mean? What does biological psychology mean? What, what does these things mean? So let me just explain it to you. And I say this as someone who is currently doing a master's degree in psychology, where I am forced to learn <laughs> all of these niches. Like, I have to talk about Sigmund Freud, and I have to talk about brain biology. I talk about everything because I'm doing a general uh, master's in science psychology degree, where we touch upon it all. So a psychotherapist is usually what you think about when you think of, you know, someone sitting there nodding, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, taking notes, and you're sitting there talking about your childhood. As usually psychotherapist could also be a psychologist could also even in some cases be a psychiatrist or a general therapist but overall the thing is people who have the more psychodynamic psychotherapeutic approach tend to see things through that specific lens and that specific lens is not so oriented around biology that lens is more oriented in things such as past traumas, family dynamic, childhood, attachment, all of these things. Whilst biological psychology, as the name might suggest, is looking more into, okay, what is going on in the brain? What is going on in the body? What, what hormones are activated? What neurotransmitter? What's going on? So to give you another example that I'm sure you can all quite recognize, uh, let's look at depression. Take a group of mental health practitioners, right? And they're all different type of mental health practitioner. You have a psychiatrist, you have a psychotherapist, and you also have a coach. If you ask these people to treat depression, they would all have very different approaches. The psychiatrist would think of it as a brain imbalance, right? Chemical imbalance that will therefore look at medication. A psychotherapist would think of it as some kind of you know, deep-rooted underlying issue and we'll kind of go there and dig into the childhood and see can we find any answers by looking in the past. And a coach will tend to look at the present. What can we do right now to change your situation? What beliefs do you hold? How can we change your behavior right now? What goals can we set? And can you see how these three different approaches are, you know, they're different in how they would approach the topic of depression? But none of them are useless, right? I mean, some might argue, oh, psychiatry is useless, this is useless, that is useless. But overall, in general, we do have to admit that it does have some value for some people. And I don't necessarily like being so black and white that I say that approach is bad, that approach is good. I think there's a lot of nuance. And I think overall, a holistic approach where you look at the whole person is very important. But then if you go to a psychiatrist with depression, you might think, oh, well, am I not going to work on my childhood issues then? Am I not going to work on, on all of that I'd experienced? And if you go to a coach, you might think, well, am I not going to get any medications here? What's going on? And even within things such as therapy, there are so many different branches within that. You know, you have psychodynamic therapy, you have CBT, you know, all of these different areas and different perspectives also within therapy. And then you have psychologists, of course, who I've seen psychologists tend to sometimes to have a more of a 
neurological view on things, so they're more in alignment with the psychiatrists, and especially if they're clinical psychologists. Not always, though, but often. And then there are other psychologists who have more of a, what can I say, holistic view, right? They look more at like the full person and look at the past, look at the present, and take a bit of coaching plus the psychotherapy lens and add it together. And I just want to clarify that this isn't set in stone, right? It is not like all psychiatrists is like this and all coaches are like that. Not at all. There are a lot of differences within the professions, right? And there are also several people who are more than one thing, right? There, for instance, someone who is a psychologist and a coach. That was the case in uh, the the person that trained me, the person that I did course when I did coaching, was actually a psychologist and a coach. So he was trained in both. And you can also be trained in different approaches, such as now I am kind of forced to learn about every single approach under the sun. <laughs> and in the past, I've trained both in traditional coaching and also trained in cognitive behavioral therapy. And of course, that will affect how I approach a client and how I engage with their current issue. So when you are training to become, let's say, a therapist, a psychotherapist, you know, not necessarily towards the more uh, scientific aspect of it. And even when you study psychology, you can do psychology that is a Bachelor of Science or you can do a psychology degree that is a Bachelor of Arts. So if you're someone, you're training not in the scientific field of things, you're learning things from more like a psychotherapeutic lens, you're learning about Freud and all of these dudes, right? You will see eating disorders through that lens. That is just, that's just how it is. You know, you spent three years predominantly focusing on that and not focusing so much on, you know, brain chemicals or hunger hormones, then that's not really going to be the thing that pops into your head when you're treating someone with an eating disorder. You will remember what you learned about attachment, about childhood behavior, about past trauma. These are the things that you will look at and approach, right? Eating disorders. That is just complete sense. In the same way that a psychiatrist who have learned about, you know, medicine and how medications affect someone's psyche and all of the neurology, they will look at depression and think of it as a chemical imbalance and want to treat it with medications. Not all psychiatrists, but most of them will, because that is just the framework that they were trained in. And this goes beyond just eating disorders practitioners, right? It can even go to people who don't necessarily treat eating disorders, but they just view it a certain way. So think of a feminist scholar will probably tend to see eating disorders as, you know, a sign of, you know, female oppression because it disproportionately affects women and its oppressive body standards, blah, blah, blah. And then a dietitian will see it more towards the nutritional lens, right? But more focused on the hunger hormones, right? And fullness hormones. And dietitian will have quite a decent understanding of what is Gerlin, what is leptin? Oh, I can never say that hormone. Today, I actually had a lecture today about eating behaviors and the teacher pronounced, pronounced it grilling. I, I can't, sorry, there are some words I cannot pronounce. <laughs> and part of why I can't pronounce them is because I never really speak them. I only read them. And when I say them in the wrong way, nobody corrects me because not everyone knows what it even is. <laughs> but yeah. And if you ask a spiritual healer, about eating disorders, they would probably say it's, you know, because you suppress your spirituality. Yeah, that was a lot of examples, but I hope that helped you understand that different practitioners are trained to see things differently through a different lens. So it's not necessarily that they're incompetent, because I hear a lot of my colleagues in the field, they can be quite harsh on practitioners and just say that oh, they're incompetent, they don't know this, they don't know that, oh my God, screw the whole system, right? 
I don't necessarily believe that. I believe that it's just different type of training. And you, as a patient slash client, it is up to you to think of what is the type of approach that would help you the most. And it's also up to you to keep in mind that if you go to a psychotherapist, you're probably not going to get a in-depth lesson about post-starvation hyperphagia and metabolism. I'm trained through coaching, but I'm doing a general psychology degree now, so I'm kind of training a bit of everything. And I do quite enjoy getting that little, you know, buffet of trying and learning about kind of everything really, like all kind of different methods within psychology, because it enables me to see, oh, well, that could have a biological explanation, could also have a psychotherapeutic explanation. Interesting. Oh, it could have a social psychology explanation. Every single one of my class will have a different context and lens to view eating disorders. Every lecture that I have will have a different main way to view it and explain it. So yeah, as mentioned earlier, my social psychology lecture would see it probably as like a like a social contagion you know like a social condition a result of body pressure result is like a bigger thing this is like culturally imposed whilst my biopsychology lecturer would see it more like okay what's going on in the brain here what hormones are out of whack what's going on with that what's going on here and then when it comes to more psychotherapy depending on the lecture if i have a lecture through cbt they'll see it in that lens if i have a lecturer who's very into you know psychodynamic approach they will see it you know what happened in the childhood what is going on here what suppressed things are lurking under the surface and my statistics lecture they will say i don't even know what they will say i'm so bad at statistics i'm barely hanging on they will say a bunch of numbers that tells you something. So let's talk about a few issues that can be viewed very differently depending on what kind of approach you see it through. So let's start with extreme hunger. A person who's trained in psychotherapy will tend to see extreme hunger more in the context of, you know, binge eating. Like, what, what are you doing? Are you eating because, you know, you're emotionally unfulfilled? Are you bored? Are you seeking some kind of comfort? We'll see it more there. Maybe, oh, didn't you? What happened in childhood when you weren't comforted? Would you turn to food? And they look at it that way. And this is in itself not necessarily like a bad thing you know but if your binging is actually extreme hunger and it's reactive hunger so your your binging is a reaction to past restriction and actually your hunger hormones are completely out of whack then you can't really dig yourself <laughs> out of it by digging into your childhood it might be insightful but it could also prevent you from fully solving the issue because if you think that okay the way to solve my extreme hunger is to figure out what happened in my childhood when actually your leptin level and a bunch of other hunger fullness hormones are completely out of whack it's not really going to get you anywhere and i hear this from a lot of people who've done therapy for eating disorders and you know a lot of the time people then inform their psychotherapist like oh hey actually well, they told talk to them maybe about mentioning Minnesota starvation study or they mention a bit of reactive hunger you know and some psychotherapists are actually like wow that's very interesting and they take it as a very positive sign that the person has done their own psychoeducation and they're very willing to learn but then fortunately there is a certain subgroup of therapists I've said psychotherapists but that can mean a lot of different practitioners who get very defensive when presented with this information because they feel like the patient who is kind of seen as being under them in terms of authority is not questioning the authority, right? I genuinely believe that you shouldn't feel like 
you are sitting there with a big authority figure that you have to, you know, <laughs> be obedient for. I don't believe that is a healthy approach to a mental health practitioner. I think you should always feel like you're able to ask questions, bring in new information, say, hey, I'm not sure if this is working for me. If a practitioner is just dismissing that or getting defensive, that's not really a great practitioner. Unless you're bringing up something that's, of course, completely nonsense. But if you're bringing up very simple things such as, oh, uh, so I read that post-starvation hyperphagia is expected after a period of restriction. I was thinking this might make sense in terms of why I feel like eating 15 packages of cookies. At this very moment, I'm seeing a psychotherapist and I'm not seeing her for my eating disorder. I'm seeing her for something else. Uh, and But I, we were talking a bit about my job and she thought it was so fascinating to learn about, you know, what I was doing, talking about binge eating because she treats people with eating disorders. And she was like, whoa, this is so interesting. Tell me more because she wanted to learn so that she could, you know, show up better for her own clients. And I think this is a hallmark of a good practitioner, someone who's willing to learn. And in the same way, there are many things that I don't know. For instance, we know that there is a high comorbidity between eating disorders and autism spectrum disorder, right? That's not something that I know super much about, but it's something that I'm taking initiative to learn more about so I can show up better for my clients who might be having that comorbidity. And when people share information, either that could be lived experience or sharing resources with me, I appreciate it. I don't think, oh my God, you're saying I'm incompetent? No, I think that's so interesting. Thank you for sharing. But of course, be mindful of how you share. If I had someone who would just kind of, oh, you don't know this, and just share things in a really arrogant way or nitpicky way, that's of course not nice. So if you go to your therapist and you roll your eyes over their incompetence for thinking that your binging could be filling an emotional void instead of being extreme hunger right you might not really get a productive conversation right so don't treat them like they are you know children or like they are ignorant intentionally ignorant unless they are <laughs> that happens but yeah, I like to have believe that most people, especially in this profession, have good intentions. Unfortunately, that's not always the case, but I just oh, I just need to believe that most people are good to keep my own faith in humanity, okay? <laughs> Let me do it. Let me believe that most people are good, please. <laughs> but I do also want to add that even within biological psychology, there isn't always the best understanding of issues related to eating disorders. So for instance, today in the lecture, we spoke about a study about quote unquote food addiction. And I asked the lecturer, which is a doctor in biopsychology, very uh, knowledgeable, great lecturer. I asked them like, okay, but has it been taken into consideration restriction, right? Because from everything you've explained, when we talk about hunger hormones and how this get activated by restriction, have this particular study looking into food addiction, taking that into consideration. And my lecturer just went quiet, just like, um, no, I don't think so. I don't have anything to add. <laughs> and I think this actually has to do with fat phobia because, you know, society is very fat phobic, right? And diet culture, it's a billion dollar business. I know this sounds like conspiracy thinking, but I just can't really think of any other reason why, you know, why, why isn't, <laughs> why, why isn't something as simple as food deprivation looked into when you look into binging? Why? It's a little bit like doing a study on people who are excessively tired during the day and not looking into, oh, well, 
are they experiencing insomnia? Are they sleep deprived? Right. Of course you look into, that's the first thing you look into when you look at these things. Are they getting enough sleep? Right. In the same way, looking into overeating, you need to see, well, are these people engaging in behaviors that are maintaining an energy deficit that then drives them to eat more and make food more rewarding? I'll just blame diet culture, but I don't know. Could also be, you know, researcher bias being raised in diet culture, you know, it shapes your beliefs and your views. You, yeah, could have gone on for ages about how come? How come? So a general takeaway from today's episode is that different practitioners are trained in different ways. Some are trained more broadly in a lot of different approaches, you know, especially some psychologists tend to be trained a little bit in everything, right? Then you also have people who are trained more specifically in certain, you know, certain lens or certain approach, such as a psychiatrist would be trained in more viewing it, viewing the solution with medications. And then you have someone like a coach who will view the solution more in behaviors. You can absolutely combine different approaches as long as they don't crash. I do this very often where I work with different practitioners and we take care of different things with our client. So for instance, I work with a dietitian who takes care of, you know, the food aspect, but I'll be the one working on actually getting my client to, <laughs> to go ahead and eat the food and challenge the beliefs they have that might stop them from eating the food that their dietitian have prescribed. Overall, different things work for different people. But if you are someone who've tried only one approach for some period of time and you haven't gotten results, it's okay to try and change your approach. So maybe you've gone to a psychiatrist for years, but you haven't really resolved the issue you went there, whether that is depression or eating disorder. Or maybe you've gone seen a psychotherapist for your eating disorder or whatever, and you haven't really gotten, gotten to any solution. Or you might have been seeing a coach, but you feel like you instead want to dig a bit deeper and look what is going on, what kind of underlying traumas are lurking there maybe dig into that because that can also be very helpful. I know a lot of coaches say, oh, that's just, that's just bullshit. I don't really believe that's just bullshit. I think it can also be very insightful to look at. I just don't believe it's the most important thing. I believe that the most important thing in eating disorder recovery is action, but you know, different people have different opinions. So overall, people are probably not intentionally withholding information from you. And also I don't believe that practitioners are just uneducated. Yes, there is a little bit of a gap where you see mental health practitioners aren't always very well trained in eating disorders. Um, my sister is a psychologist who specialized in eating disorders and she did tell me that there wasn't actually that much training about eating disorders. So yeah, there are some people who just lack general training, but very often it's that they're trained, but they're trained to see things through a different lens. I hope that was insightful. And if you got any other, if you want me to talk more about, you know, psychology and, you know, different treatment approaches and how that relates to eating disorders, do let me know because I find that so fascinating. And part of what we are doing at my university is to take, for instance, a case, right, a case, a patient case, and then say, how would you treat that taking the psychodynamic approach? How would you treat that through a cognitive behavioral approach, right? So we have to apply different approaches to different cases. That doesn't mean one is wrong and one is right, but it could mean that sometimes one approach is more appropriate than another. And now let's go to this week's listener question. And I've probably said this before, but if you've got any listener questions, feel free to DM me at Let's Recover. Uh, the Instagram is at let'srecover.co.uk. 
But please note that you need to mark that it is actually a listener question, because if not, I might think it's just a general recovery question. And as you probably are aware, I do not have capacity to answer one-on-one recovery questions in the DM. And the question today really ties in with the topic, and that is psychological therapy. How important is it for eating disorder recovery? And my answer to that is it depends. It depends on the type of therapy as well. Because as I've spoken about in this episode, there are very different approaches, right? But if you are referring to more psychotherapy, you know, solving underlying issues, then the answer is, once again, it depends. For some people, it can be incredibly helpful. It can really make them understand what made them more vulnerable at developing an eating disorder in the first place and how it had served them. But then for other people, it might keep them a bit stuck because they feel like they need to solve, you know, their childhood issues in order to recover. But it really does depend on the approach, right? So for instance, when I was eating this was an eating disorder treatment, I did cognitive behavioral therapy. And my cognitive behavioral therapy included some psychoeducation as well. And I found that very, very helpful because it really helped me challenge my thoughts. Uh, cognitive behavioral therapy is used by some therapists, psychologists, and also coaches. I personally use a lot of CBT in my treatment. I don't follow exactly a CBT approach, but I do use a lot of elements from it because it's also been part of my training. But yeah, as I said, I just think it really, really depends, right? Because we all have different stories. We all have different traumas. For some, the eating disorder might be related to trauma, whilst for others, it might not be, right? But if you do choose to go that route of, you know, more psychological therapy, just make sure that you're not neglecting the practical steps. So refeeding, rest, weight restoration. Even though this might not be the biggest topics, especially if you go to a psychotherapist, if you go to a psychologist, it might be more of a topic. At least in my case, I went to a psychologist and that was the main topic because the psychologist told me, and this is also an important thing to add, what my psychologist told me is that in the beginning, when you are entering recovery and you're quite undernourished, you actually are not fully receptible for psychological therapy because your brain is just so rigid. You're just not you're just not there, right? So we actually didn't start the actual more therapy part until we have gotten me to gain a bit of weight and increase my intake. But I think that is something that is very important to be aware of, that you might not be as receptive towards, for instance, psychotherapy if you are not at least partly nourished, right? Or at least not on that path. I would say fully nourished would be the best, right? But, you know, if you are just completely starved out and you're way under your set point weight and fully engaging in a lot of disordered behaviors, then going to psychotherapy, you might not have as good of effect of that as if you went there when you were fully nourished and well-rested and at your set point weight range. Hope this helps and I will see you guys next week.